The information presented in this podcast is for general informational purposes only. The content is provided as a conversation and a personal experience shared by the guest who has undergone psychedelic therapy. This podcast episode does not constitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The guest's experiences and opinions regarding psychedelic therapy are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast host or the production team or any associated individuals or organizations. It is essential to consult with qualified mental health professionals, medical practitioners, and counselors before considering the use of psychedelics or any alternative therapies. As we've come to understand, psychedelic substances and therapies may carry potential risks and side effects. Any reliance on the content of this podcast is at the listener's own risk, and the podcast host and production team are not responsible for any actions taken based on the information provided in this episode. Always prioritize safety and well-being by seeking professional guidance tailored to your individual circumstances. Thank you. Warning. This episode contains descriptions of drug use. Alex Detmering is a Furious Curious contributor and writer with years of personal experience using psychedelic therapy to work through his own trauma. As an avid student of the uncanny psychedelic world, Alex loves exploring the hard science, the otherworldly encounters, and everything in between. My conversation with Alex about psychedelics was one of the most fascinating and eye-opening conversations I've had in a very long time, and I'm sure it will be just that for you as well. Here is part one of that conversation. I'm Britt, and this is the Furious Curious Podcast. Alex Detmering, it's great to be with you. Thank you for taking the time. I was going to say before we get started, you know when you um, when you meet somebody and you're immediately like, this guy's this person's going to be very interesting and also is a very centered person. Like that was my first impression of you. That is you, sir. So welcome to the Furious Curious. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. So we already introduced you. Yeah. Any, any brief overview of, you know, your expertise and your experience uh, in areas psychedelics? Like how did you, how did you become interested in this? And yeah, just give us a, 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 an overview. Sure. Sure. So my day job is I'm a commercial creative and marketing guy. I've been doing that for eight, nine years now. Um, but recently I have begun, uh, writing, researching, doing a bit of psychedelic journalism. Um, now, I've been interested in psychedelics for a really long time. And I think it really started for me eight, nine years ago. And it started for me because I had recently uh, left my faith. I, w I was a Christian. Um, I was actually a missionary in China for, for several years. Um, and... I had left uh, my, my Christian faith, and I, I was essentially completely atheistic, materialistic guy. Mm. And um, I think underneath that 
I mean, you, you can leave a faith, but there are certain things that you don't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, these are like the vestigial structures, you know, the, the things that aren't associated directly with the faith, but they're like deeper impulses that are built into you. And I think one of those deeper info- impulses for me was the religious experience and like understanding mm-hmm. what reality was uh, about and like all, all that stuff. Right. And, and just kind of by, by way of fate. I ended up being like, hell yeah, I'll try um, weed. And I tried it a couple times. It didn't do anything. And then one time Mm -hmm. I had some cocktail that part of which was weed. And I don't know what the rest of it was. And I had a pretty wild experience where Mm. um, something very deep shifted in my perception. And, Mm. you know, everyone I saw, uh, they, uh, they looked a little bit like aliens and um, <laughs> my whole life my whole life flashed before my eyes and a whole bunch of stuff occurred and it was uh that that experience left an indelible mark on me and then later i had uh experience with uh psilocybin with with, uh, with magic mushrooms and and that experience um in that experience i uh I was walking through a park. I laid down on the side of a tree and I looked up into the sky and imperceptibly at some point in time, I shifted into some other space and I looked up at the, the tree branches interacting with the sky and it didn't look like anything I'd ever seen before. The, the branches were like crystalline and hmm. they interlocked with the blue of the sky like gears and they were shifting and, and waving and um this <laughs> i can only compare it to, and this is a little kitschy i don't know but uh i started whispering to myself and what sounded like freaking elvish from the lord of the rings <laughs> and it was like i don't i can't remember a word that i said all i can remember is at some point in time i was like holy holy heck mm-hmm. um this is heaven. This is what, this is a heavenly experience. And it was, it was mind blowing to me, right? It's like, like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So like, you know, growing up, it was like, hey, you read the, read the Bible and you read about, or whatever religious text, right? Right. Read about these, these wild spaces of human experience. And you've, you've never gone there. Right. Right. And so if something is not within your experience, it's the same thing as impossible. And when, and and my introduction to this like tipped me over into this being possible and i was never the same since and so i've had other experiences that were like that but that was like i would say my initial uh introduction to psychedelics was motivated by this kind of deep religious impulse now the reason why uh i've really uh the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing right now is different. Mm. The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing right now is because somewhere along the line with my experimentation with psychedelics and their ability to kind of reveal uh, reality to, to some degree, and we, we can kind mm-hmm. of get into that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I uh, uncovered something in my mind that I did not expect. It was a repressed memory, mm. and I did not know what it meant. Mm. And when that occurred within a, a particular session, um, I, the session immediately stopped. Boom. Hmm. It was over. Like the psychedelic effects immediately wore off hmm. and I, uh, I freaked out 
I, I, I did. And I, I, I did not know what it meant. I feared the worst. And then for the next three or more years, uh, I kind of ran from that experience. I ran from whatever it was in my unconscious that had been revealed to me. Um, I wanted to go as far away from it as I possibly could. So I kind of uh, naysayed uh, the substances, even though at a deep intuition level, I knew that they were doing something that was real and, and could not really be, be, be naysayed. And um, I ran um, in, in doing any kind of like research into what it was that that experience meant. And what, and what the result of that was, was it basically um, kicked off or catalyzed latent um, mental illness, essentially, hmm. that I had. And, and, and the reason that that latent mental illness was there, sp specifically anxiety and OCD, was because when I was, um, when I was a kid, um, from the time I was uh, about six to 14, um, I would say I was exposed to a series of uh, increasingly intense traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. um, part, a, a major part of this puzzle was the fact that my, my mother... Um, who I love, I'm, my mom and dad, I, I love them dearly. Um, but my mother uh, had extremely severe obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm. And uh, my father um, has some, some anger issues. And, and both of them, especially my father, had uh, a particularly brutal cocktail of things happened to them when they were kids that kind of like led, led to the experiences that I had, you know, as a child. So I, I, I want to make kind of that clear. But yeah. it, it did imprint on me in, in a very serious way. And it was something that um, I, I did not notice was part of who I was until, mm. uh, until, until basically what the, the events that occurred post this experience, right? Because essentially, you know, for me, what I believe happened was, and this kind of gets to the complexity of mm -hmm. psychedelics too right mm -hmm. because um i know this is a little bit of a tangent but i think it's an important one yeah uh, that's great you could look at this one of two there's more well there's a bunch of ways that you could look at the the kind of testimony i'm giving you right now but there's two polar opposite ways of looking at it one is like hey this guy is talking is is really talking about a condition that was caused by his experience with psychedelics and they really like mm. were like the the catalyst for um something that never would have really bothered him in his life that is mm. actually possible but i think um mm. the the other the, the, i don't i don't i honestly personally don't think that's true the other side of that story or the polar opposite would be this uncovered like i said latent issues that would have emerged later on or would have dominated from the background of my life yeah no matter what right so uh anyway um uh these the anxiety obsessive compulsiveness um all the all these kinds of things uh, uh essentially squeezed the aperture of my life down to a a, a pinhole <laughs> i could barely operate as a friend um i could barely do a lot of life and and this was a crisis for me and eventually i kind of reached rock bottom and snapped um and that bottoming out process uh forced me to try to do something that i don't know that i'd ever done in my entire life 
which was like absolutely fight to the death to figure out what was going on. Hmm. I'd, I'd spent, you know, like I said, years kind of running away from this um, repressed memory mm-hmm. that, that, that emerged. Um, but, but the truth is that is, that was just like a microcosm of my life. Like running in many instances is what I'd always been doing to, to some degree. Right. And, uh, and now, um, uh, because like I kind of came to the awareness that I really had no other option that, uh, you know, I was either going to do this, like really figure it out, or I was going to go and go insane. And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Britton, I had an experience where I crossed that threshold in mm. my mind for a moment and it mm. was like an existential wobble, man. <laughs> mm. Mm. Like existential was, wobble. Wow. Yeah. Like it was like, I, I, you know, the, the pain that I was feeling and the confusion that I was feeling and yeah. the other factors of life converged. Um, <laughs> I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just racked with anxiety and dude, mm. my, uh, the, the locus of my awareness stepped mm over the line into the abyss Mm. and it was like a swirling um torrent of madness and came right back Mm. i was Mm. like oh boy (laughs) 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 oh oh boy (laughs) you know it was full body shivers like like freak you out so and this wasn't uh, just to that point this was not this was not aided by psychedelics this was just a this was a completely yeah just uh a lack of a better word, sober experience. Sober is not the right word, but uh, okay. So, okay. So this, you stepped over into the abyss for a sec. You felt this existential warble, like you were saying, I just want to, okay, continue, please. This is amazing. Yeah. So I felt that. And that was, um, and that was such a, uh, th- that was part of the, so when people say they bottomed out, right. Yeah. You don't know when you get to the bottom and there is no real, real bottom. There's a series of bottoms and you don't, and the bottom can go on forever. <laughs> you know, it's, right, really like, right. it's really like how much bottom can you take? Right. right. At least in, in the look, at least in my experience, I, I don't know truth of the universe. Right. Um, mm-hmm. all, all I can say is, is in my experience. Right. So, uh, I try to, to figure this stuff out and this, and this unfolded over a series of, of years of just like, in, insane amounts of reading, like reading like I'd never done before in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was just, uh, I was just cramming audiobooks, man, just one after the other, and one led to the other, and it just followed this natural and, and, and little bits and little bits and little bits. And eventually, this kind of rabbit hole led me back to psychedelics, the thing that mm. I had run from, the thing that I was scared of, but I also kind of had this deep intuition that it was also the the, the way out as well mm, mm-hmm. and so uh th- what i the, the path that i chose to go down was specifically but not only uh mdma therapy so i uh i reached out took eight months to finally get connected with an underground therapist then um you know it was like five years or four years i don't, I don't remember man it was four years to the day uh, of that initial experience on, on psilocybin where, you know, that little crack in, in, in my, uh, subconscious opened and that memory slipped out. I was in, uh, the basement of this, uh, this therapist's, you know, treatment facility. Um, he, uh, he is a, you know, 
marriage and, and family and regular therapist has mm-hmm. a, a totally uh, traditional practice, but then he also does this mm. um, on the side sitting, you know, on a, on a, on a cot uh, with, with uh, MDMA in my hand. And I was like, all right, uh, let's see what happens. And, you know, my reason, my reasoning for choosing MDMA was twofold. Um, one is that I knew that getting out of this mess that I was in had to do with the truth mm. and, and getting to the truth of like what was going on with me in my life and this thing that I had run across. Right. And, and MDMA has a lot of names. And one of them um, is something like truth serum, because mm-hmm. when, you, when you take uh, the substance, sometimes, not all the time, but a lot of times, you start talking and you don't talk like you normally talk, uh, or at mm. least not like I normally talk. Maybe mm-hmm. other people talk like this normally, but you talk straight from the, the swirl inside of you. And mm. then you also, and then the, the number two thing, you also yeah. talk from this sense of true, deep, legitimate, native love hmm. your it slips a key into the keyhole hmm. of your heart it unlocks it hmm. and, and um love emerges from deep inside of you a love that you know for me w- w- was so so powerful and given the experiences that I, that i that i've had i had never experienced to uh that that degree in fact i think was deeply skeptical of for those reasons right because yeah. it was so outside of my experience so when i did that some very bizarre things happened hmm. so i took i took it right and i feel this like vortex this is swirling hmm. it's on the fringes of uh my, my my fingers and my toes right all my extremities and it's spinning and spinning and you would think that'd be terrifying hmm. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't terrifying. I mm. some some intuition which uh, I don't normally or didn't at that time have very much access to uh, was like, "Oh baby, you're going <laughs> to be just fine." Yeah, you're going to be just fine. <laughs> uh-huh. So I sat back, man. I just I, I, mm. I stretched back in the cot. I slipped on eye shades. Um, eye shades and and music was playing. These things are all integral integral parts of. Mm psychedelic therapy as opposed mm-hmm. to other uses of psychedelics and we can we can get to that right so sure. the experience right. is primarily internal it's in your psyche your inner space hey it could be in other spaces too i'm not going to draw lines around this mm-hmm. but uh it's 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 primarily a subjective experience anyway right so i i slipped it on i slipped on the, the, the eye shades mm-hmm. and and as this happens i see this like fuzzy static and that static is like i guess my mind's eye you know or the background of my mind and i hear this like conversation and it's like very Mm. dim Mm. and i guess i like lean in to this conversation like with my attention and as soon as i do that the conversation shifts from the background to the foreground Mm -hmm. and there are two characters in this conversation one character is like triumphant and like loving and he and this character is like kind of floating over my heart and this other character i can't really see but i recognize quite well because this character um kind of dominates my my inner uh dialogue Mm. and they start talking back and forth and this and this like uh this 
action see, like seizes me. Like it, it, what mm. I mean by that is it like moves through me. Like I see it. And then all of a sudden I start speaking for these characters that are in this like conversation. So you're like a right. third party. You're like a third voice in, in this conversation now. Kind of yeah. Thing. Well, I'm actually not saying anything oh, like okay. as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, as someone removed. I'm like, so like, well, to, 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 to explain in better detail, in, yeah. in, in uh, better detail, uh, like the voice on the right, mm-hmm. um, is just, this the triumphant one. No, that's that's the left. That's the heart. Oh, okay, got it. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah so the got voice it. on the right is yeah. just is just talking through all this like fear, and I'm just like saying it. And and as mm. I'm actually doing it, my physical posture shifts hmm. spontaneously. This is not like uh, this is like. I mean, I I don't want to say this in a, in in any kind of bad way, but it's essentially like possession. You know, hmm. like there's mm-hmm. some degree of agency, but for mm-hmm. the most part, this is happening like the most natural thing that's ever happened it's, it's, it's just flowing out of you so i'm just like i i, I start out loud just like saying all mm. these fears right and then it stops shifts i move to the move to uh the left and mm-hmm. my, my my face moves right to left right and then and then i start uh and then that part of the conversation comes in right the the love the the encouragement the assurance these are all things that i had never heard from myself in any kind of clarity mm. right my my inner monologue you know dialogue <laughs> unfortunately uh through most of my life is, is basically a monologue was i used to describe it and especially during the period that i'm talking about this crisis period was like this uh buzzsaw in my brain right it's just like judge judge no but the bad blah 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 it's it's uh you know the the, uh the words themselves and the emotional valence of those words was just like this torrent of pain spinning in my head right so um i think at a conscious level and i you know in my awareness like encouragement from inside to me was just not something that i usually was familiar with and now i was hearing it for the first time and it was like consciously hearing it for the first time and i was like holy heck mm-hmm. <laughs> like like holy heck and i was just bearing witness to it right and it was just happening it was unfolding and unfolded over uh two hours and and by the end of it i just like kind of sat up and i was like i was like was that you know it's kind of like was that real <laughs> you know like what was because it was so uh different than uh, my normal experience like the the love that i felt and the encouragement that i felt and i think because uh i am a, i'm a wounded person at, at a very uh, very very deep level there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people like like me and, and much worse but uh, and uh, because i'm a wounded person i just like i knew that what happened was absolutely special mm-hmm. but i didn't know if i could believe it i didn't know if that that mm. specialness and the message that i had heard from my my own heart essentially was something that that could penetrate the rest of my the fibers of my own consciousness and the layers of my own consciousness because there were many and i was familiar with them uh, to some degree and i knew them to be predominantly negative <laughs> so that experience um led me on a path uh, a multi-year path of of, of using predominantly MDMA therapy to get to the bottom of what was going on with me. And to be, to be entirely honest with you, there are things uh, still left for me to do, right? Mm-hmm. There are, there's a lot of uh, stuff um, 
kind of deep inside, like fear, like fundamental fear and some other things, uh, like what I've described or what kind of was, uh, what came to me during these sessions as, um, ancestral burdens. And that might sound like Hmm. a little woo woo. Um, but, uh, I will tell you at least as, as far as I can understand, um, ancestral burdens are a real thing you know uh, uh you you get things uh you know when when you're born genes isn't the only thing that's passed on you know right um and when you're raised like you 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 copy things from people at a way it, in a way because you're a, you're a copying machine when you're a kid there's right. this uh, concept in uh developmental psychology it's called the the critical period right in this critical period you were like a, a neurocognitively you're a sponge right right you're taking on all these things and so you know the as as i believe as a consequence of that you 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 get material generation generate generationally people pass down behaviors thoughts and and deep wounding right because their kids if they haven't addressed it their kids see it and they get it right and um I've, I've encountered these things and we can, we can actually talk about that. I think in, in more detail, but I, if you, if you'd like, um, I'd love to. Yeah. But, but I've, I've, I've encountered these things, uh, directly in, 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 in this, in, on this journey. Right. Uh, so, so during, so like I said, I haven't addressed everything, but what I did address was I, uh, I faced the, the repressed memory mm-hmm. that uh was brought up in that session mm. and the gift that it had that it gave me um uh it's hard to uh dude um we can talk we can say things um mm. But there are no words that can convince you of anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Wor- words take us maybe 10% mm-hmm. to the depth of our psyche. What is beyond words, mm-hmm. what is essential, cannot be named um, mm-hmm. and, and cannot be mm-hmm. given. It can, only, uh, it can only be earned, man. It can only be earned. Mm-hmm. And what I came to realize through this experience was that uh, that memory was integral like training myself to be strong enough to face whatever it is that was and then facing it and passing through that that was the experience that gave me what words can never give me right what Mm -hmm. what encouragement from anyone could never give me it was the the experience itself because when i ended up looking at it it transformed mm-hmm. but the only way that that happened was that i had to be willing to see it for whatever it was right and that takes courage right and courage is one of those things that words can never give you right courage is like I feel like everything in the universe, I feel like certain in the universe of these things, the universe sounds kind of a hoity toity. Um, in reality, a lot of things work the same. Mm-hmm. And I think in reality, the psyche is not dissimilar from like 
the rest of your body. In fact, they're, they're quite connected. And, mm-hmm. and, and the way, the ways you strengthen your psyche are not dissimilar from the ways you strengthen your body, you know? Right. It's not like you go to the gym, you do one push up, all of a sudden you're a stronger person. No, you go <laughs> right. to the gym for a hundred days mm-hmm. and you gradually do more push ups. And at mm-hmm. the end of that hundred days, you're stronger than you were a day one. Um, I and think the mind's the same. Yeah. The mind, in my the consciousness, in my, yeah. In my experience, mm-hmm. um, the mind is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Right. You, uh, I think. Uh, I did. I'll, I'll say for, mm-hmm. for me, right? I felt like, oh, I faced this fear or I did this thing. Now mm-hmm. I'm a different person. I think part mm-hmm. of the reason I had that impression was, like I said, um, growing up, I, I, I was a, I, I was a Christian. I was, I was a fundamentalist Christian, and one of the ideas that fundamentalist Christianity has is the idea of a salvation experience. Right? It's like, right. You go and you have an experience and you come out different. Now, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that breakthrough revelatory experiences don't happen. Right. What I am saying is that 99.999% of experiences are not those experiences, mm-hmm. even the experiences that are like that one push up, right? Even experiences right. that are. But if you mm-hmm. have this expectation that each one of those decisions or experiences, is like that and then you realize you know oh wait i'm not stronger or wait i'm not more courageous yet it's like bro Mm -hmm. we haven't done the work right we haven't done the work so i I, eventually i was able to face that 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 uh that repressed memory This is going to set us up for later conversations, but I'm going to say something that's while casting the least amount of shade possible, because I have the the utmost respect for the work that modern science does. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely do. Right. Brilliant. Science is incredible for so many reasons. We can go into that, but I don't think we're going to on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But in preparation for an article that I was writing, Mm -hmm. uh, I listened to the great courses on psychology. And one of the points in that great courses was that um, repressed memories are not real. Mm. So, no, the, 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 this uh, lecturer who is renowned, um, I won't give her name for two reasons. One, I don't want to say it. Two, because I actually don't remember her name. So. <laughs> sure. <laughs> not that she's not awesome. She's totally awesome. She's brilliant. But uh, I don't want to act like I'm, uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, she was like, like there's, you know, there's no evidence that, that, that repressed memories are real. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, and, and, and what, what I, the reason I bring that up is because, and this really relates to psychedelics in a deep way, you know, we've done a lot of things with, with science that are unbelievable. But one of the things that I think were relatively uh, early on in our development, and a lot of the researchers that I've talked to 
agree with this mm-hmm. is in understanding what's going on with the subconscious and, and the mind and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. we, we've pointed the lens of discovery at the moon. We pointed the lens of discovery at the atom, you mm-hmm. know, pointed a lot of places, but one place where we suspiciously haven't done so much work is in our own minds. And that's kind of interesting, right? Uh, but it's also... It's probably the scariest place, that's why. Totally. <laughs> Maybe not, totally. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> to- totally. So, um, uh, so yeah, all that is yeah. to say is that, um, you know, uh, uh, th- there's a lot of work to be done here, and, and we're still when we're, when we're still early on. Um, so, anyway, uh, I was able to get... Uh, through this process i I realized that the pain and um the pain that that i had gone through and that uh the bottoming out that i had experienced were all part of the the gift of difficulty yeah that was the the one path that i had to walk to unwind the uh the trauma that i had experienced when i was when i was younger you know like it's funny man one thing that came out of the last uh, session that I did, mm-hmm. and and I want to be clear here, right? Uh, I am speaking for myself. There are people that have experienced orders of magnitude worse things. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've gone through some very bad stuff, some very bad stuff for years, but there are people that have gone for much worse stuff for lifetimes. And so yeah. I, I cannot speak <laughs> to that you know, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, and have any kind of like self-respect. So I'll speak for me, right? Mm-hmm. For me, what I realized was that for me, trauma is an adaptation that saves us when we're a kid mm-hmm. or whenever we get it. It's an adaptation it, that, that is trying to serve us, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to protect us, you know? So, yeah. It's a survival thing almost. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's a survival mechanism, right? Like, think about it. You know, if you internalize mm-hmm. all those neg- the neg- like like verbal abuse, and and you give that verbal abuse to yourself in anticipation of verbal abuse on the outside, there's a pretty good shot that you're going to modify your behavior to make that verbal abuse on the outside a little less likely, right? And so mm-hmm. that this is one example, and I think there's a lot of how trauma serves us from a survival perspective right Mm -hmm. but and then it does double duty at least in my experience is quite elegant because it saves us when we're younger or gives us the best shot of making out alive and then that formulates a structure through Mm -hmm. which we must walk that is the thing that takes us into the person that we could be it is like the savior when we're a kid and it is the trial that we have to pass through to become mm. what we could there's uh there's a uh, yeah but but the to me the the difficulty part of the difficulty there there are many of that of that trial is you know when when you are traumatized when you experience especially over over years right the the emotional toll and the perspective you can have through that is uh h- hard to uh put into where it's impossible to put into words right it is uh you know when 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 people talk about uh 
realizing or working through trauma, I think sometimes it can almost sound like when you're reading an essay, when you're reading an article about it, that it's like the same as looking at your arm and saying, oh, I obviously have an injured arm. Look at this injury. I can see this injury, right? See, trauma is the lens. Hmm. So you can say like, oh, it's obvious that you have, you have trauma. It's obvious that you have this or that illness, right? But if this or that illness is the camera that you perceive reality through, at least consciously, that illness is you. Mm-hmm. And you don't even have it. It's you. And, and you don't even understand that it could be else uh, in, in any other way, right? And so to disassemble that apparatus is... Mm-hmm a an order of magnitude more difficult than the analogy that i made earlier with the working out stuff right mm-hmm. for a number of reasons one is because the the way you measure it is fundamentally different it's like when you can lift you know heavier today than you could three months ago okay i'm stronger but psychological health that's entirely self-reported and if you distrust yourself mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's 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 a it's a terrible, terrible, challenging thing to unwind in my in my experience. And my experience is by no means the worst. <laughs> by no means. Mm-hmm. So uh so trauma's a trauma's a different uh, a, a difficult thing. And it takes a really, really long time to to work through, but but um it has, I believe it has a function. And I believe that um, when, when we do see it for what it is, or eventually see it for what it is, it's remarkable. Hmm. That's incredible. So I've got a couple questions. When you saw these two entities like talking, I, I know I'm kind of rewinding a little bit. The, the entity on the left, the entity on the right, one is big and powerful. One is, I don't know, quite remember how you described it but so what do those two things mean to you like what what's the meaning that you got from these two things that we're talking and and essentially discussing just kind of yeah 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 so yeah this goes into a bit about things that i've learned about the psyche from Mm -hmm. my experiences or at least my 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 psyche Mm -hmm. um i'm of the opinion and this is something that i actually read about uh extensively before i even experienced it but this experience um like like in this in the, at this level of resolution I, i'm of the opinion that the mind is not singular that mm-hmm. that that, mm-hmm. that it, we may uh we may perceive it as, as such mm-hmm. but i i think that perception it depends on just the the, the a certain level of awareness a certain mm-hmm. level of awareness and i think it's not uh, um, part of the regularly scheduled programming to know it's any other way. Because I, I think that for the most part, we're driven by unseen gears, right? <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. kind of how nature has like it planned for us, right? E- evolution, evolutionarily speaking, it is most beneficial for us to be aware and we can probably only handle so much at a time of like a, a very like narrow bandwidth of like what's actually going on and that narrow bandwidth by and large has to do 
with survival. And that's kind of like where the, the locus of our attention usually is, right? But if, if we turn that, if we're able to turn that same attention uh, inward, I, I, and, it's, and which is something that I believe is certainly aided by, by, by psychedelics, we get uh, a very new experience of how our own operation is going on. So I, I think that mm. we're largely driven by, by subconscious agents by like things below our perception that are doing making all kinds of decisions about gesture and and interacting in all kinds of ways with with, with feelings with, with with thoughts and feelings of, mm. of, of all sorts and and this uh the amalgamation of all this activity is alex does this alex does that but if you look at it each one of these things is a gear and, and if you think about it it kind of makes sense because this is kind of how a lot of nature works right mm -hmm. Na nature works through you know a, a, a lot of the most complex and important things in nature are emergent properties who who that have characteristics that none of the constituent parts have but if you gather enough of the constituent parts around each other all of a sudden this property appears right so it's like you, you see this with chemistry, right? Compounds have characteristics that the individual atoms that compose those compounds do not have. And I think the exact same thing is true of, of consciousness. I think uh, human beings are insanely complicated, right? I think uh, our, our consciousness is, is tremendously complicated, but it is the product of, of smaller and smaller individual like lego blocks of consciousness mm -hmm. different uh sub agents or entities or parts you can say whatever they are mm -hmm. and then together that symphony and i'm borrowing uh language right now the symphony language particularly from from people who uh i'm not at their same pay grade but whatever um <laughs> that that symphony produces like the experience the subjective experience that we have so uh that that's what i think those things were man i think those things huh. were uh, i believe those things were, were were parts of me whose conversation that i had this dim intuition i was like man has this always been going on has this always been happening have these mm. two um mm. people always been talking and interesting mm. so okay I'll, I'll give you a little insight into the dialogue itself right so yeah one of the parts the fearful part was just saying uh some of these things that it was worried about this this mm -hmm. from the right side just going 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 and this other part said well you know what you've interpreted me as the enemy like like said this like oh what like, what and, and and so that's interesting right yeah i talked about like this this deep cynicism and lack and, la and lack of trust like what what was that going on what what was that part well mm. I, I didn't actually discover what that part was until like a year and a half later when i had the spontaneous in a session i was like what are you and here we go mm. this is gonna get woo woo this is gonna get woo woo man and mm -hmm. we're gonna go there and people maybe will think i'm totally crazy and maybe no. i am totally crazy no. but i asked i was like what are yeah. you and i was yeah. like i'm your heart cool. huh. i was like huh. okay huh. i'm your heart yeah wow was that the left person or the or the the re left entity or the right entity so the, the left entity the one that was directly above my heart mm -hmm. was like i i'm, I'm your heart mm. so i want to i want to talk a little bit mm. so wow. so so this 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 heart character 
really yeah. really 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 interesting was was a guiding force in all of this 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 entire therapeutic experience so there's this concept and i did not make it up um but to some some two very brilliant psychedelic researchers came up with this kind of kind of together there's Stanislav Grof super famous LSD primarily LSD therapist who later created holotropic breathing which you may or may not be familiar with it's kind of related to Wim Hof in a sense oh I've done Wim Hof yeah yeah yep. it's, it's, it, it's not it's different I don't want to say it's not they're both breath work but they're both different yeah. they're different types of breath work um, the reason why he Stanislav Grof got into breath work was because LSD became legal he was like he sat on like 4,000 LSD therapy sessions before LSD became illegal and then he was like man this is like the, the the shiz right like how am i gonna do this and holotropic breathing can induce psychedelic states so sanslov groff and the other guy yeah. michael mithoffer who is the the main driving researcher behind all this mdma for ptsd stuff that people might be familiar with they have this kind of together idea and this idea is um kind of like the inner healing intelligence and this idea kind of goes like this so we have an immune system in our body right and and when we cut ourselves or injure ourselves in some way right mm -hmm. like the doctor does not heal us right the doctor sets the conditions for healing to occur the, the job mm -hmm. of the doctor is to set the ideal conditions under which healing can occur right their hypothesis and this is my experience 100 percent was that the psyche works in the exact same way if you mm -hmm. put the psyche under the best conditions there is a inner healing intelligence that i think is essentially just your heart that's that causes the actual healing to occur and in my experience hmm. so so why is that possible what is what does healing mean okay look mental illness is complicated and caused by a lot of things but i i think that one of the biggest sources of, of mental illness is unprocessed material unexperienced experience right hmm. maybe it's something that was done to us maybe it was something we did or we're afraid that we did it's hmm. pushed down deep in our minds and it's unprocessed so why does the heart help heal that well i believe um and in my experience the heart accepts the heart brings things together that you feel like would be impossible to, to bring together <laughs> right hmm. that's that's what the heart is in the business of doing that's the, the nature of love at least one facet and there are many i think is acceptance love is acceptance right so in my experience uh uh what was going on was mdma was turning on my heart like here you go buddy and as soon as that happened things that 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 elements of my mind that and, and objects and and memories and all these things that i felt like i could never get into those emerged spontaneously why because holy heck i think i can be accepted now right and what mm. happens when those things emerge into consciousness do they start talk interacting they're bumping they're bumping into each other maybe hmm. normally before they're buried in the murk of our minds right separated by all kinds of material because the psyche is deep beyond belief and now they're brought into the light of consciousness which i think man we can really go into why that happens but or why that's necessary rather and now they, they're brought into the light of consciousness and we have to hold it 
and hold that attention while what needs to happen happens while the Mm. conversations and the experiences right process the material that we have not heretofore processed and that is why i think in in one one facet right of why the heart drives mental mental healing Hmm. that's fascinating it's fascinating and it makes sense right that our bodies are our best own physicians in 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 every in every which way right and it's interesting how you have to you've got to hold these things and let them work themselves out i'll say this like i have a analogous experience with this i think i mentioned it in our pre-show call but it also at the same time realizes to me or reveals to me that what i've done in terms of processing trauma I've only done like what you said, like the 10%, you know, I've said some words to myself. I've, I've walked through and I'll just, I'll just tell the quick story about it. I did this thing called EMDR, which I I think you mentioned you're familiar with. And I worked through this thing where I was in first grade and I would leave the classroom, but I would just all of a sudden, like, I didn't know you might as well, I might as well walked into outer space. Like it was a black hole memory. Where did I go after that? I don't remember. Well, through a couple sessions, and I remember as we got closer to really understanding what was on the other side of that door into the hallway, my brain, my psyche, my my survivalist psychology was like, whoa, 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 no, 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 we're gonna survive. We need to survive. We can't do this. And you talk about this 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 portrait of of walking through something, and that's something you have to do yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. I had that one moment. Where I'm like, I don't, this could make me crazy on the other side, but guess what? It's better than trying to hold or stare at a faceless trauma that is agonizing me and is tormenting me. And I don't know what it is. I can't even call it by a name because I don't know what it is. Yep. And I walked through that. And what was interesting, fast forwarding, I was able to, part of, part of that therapy is you, you contextualize, you, you're able to walk essentially into that moment and speak a new, and this is, this is the, this is the conscious person talking. So I think this is where it's limited, but I was able to speak a new context into that. And that's great. But what I'm realizing now is that could, that could be just really the beginning of, of what that experience could be and i don't necessarily think it resolves that trauma per se so anyway so to to the to that question was there a sense of reconciliation yeah yeah. so so this this man this is going to be um it's going to be a good line of questioning sure so i think an understandable disservice that a lot of Mm -hmm. people a lot of mental health communication does it distills very complex messy difficult things into these neat narratives right Right. the nature of marketing (laughs) you know and it's understandable right because people have limited attention and and they don't want to like hear like the winding tale or at least the people a lot of people communicating it just want to give them enough that they're like oh i should try right x right right? yeah so here's here's in my experience in my experience my my truth <laughs> about sure. about psychedelics right and psychedelic therapy it is an agonizing process that takes mm-hmm. a really long time that goes up and down and up and down and up and down mm-hmm. it's and um the and 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 even though you see that you're going on average up at least for me it took 
forever for that confidence to penetrate deeper and deeper into my mind. And that's just because I believe um, we hold or can hold core beliefs at our core, extremely deep in our psyche because these are beliefs i believe you know we we formulate when we're children and they like and and you know and they were given to us in a in a period where our impressionability is at an all-time high right babies are in the business of absorption you know and 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 when there is conflict and pain and whatever else might be present within their environment that is what they are absorbing too mm-hmm. right and they're absorbing it deep and it covers their soul right so that is one of the reasons why i think um this process is so flipping difficult man there is there's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer and it goes up and down and up and down why does it go up and down you know you have hope oh i did it and then you and then and then you feel oh this fear comes back and you let that fear grip you and then you go down mm. and you go up and you go down and you go up and you go, was it all fake was it and, it's, and then that's that's the actual experience and then there's also expectation you feel on the outside to tell people a clean and neat narrative right like i did it right. you should do it too and it's not because you don't believe that it is helping you it's just because you feel confusion <laughs> over right. all your positive you feel confusion. So, 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 so the, the, the path to addressing this stuff is a messy one. That's why it, it, it took, it took years, right? It took years in many, in, in many sessions to, to, to return to this over and over again. And then the essential part and probably uh, return to different, different things over and over again. And, and one of the, the most essential parts is then taking whatever it is that you learned in that session. Some of it's nonverbal, some of it's verbal. And then actually doing it in your life. Mm-hmm. Like the the ex- part of the experience itself can be a tr- an incredible processing event where you are actually getting into emotions and memories and whatever may have you and you're actually doing a huge amount of processing really fast, right? Mm-hmm. But part of it's also a a sacrament. Part of mm-hmm. it is a, a contract that you are making with yourself to then take this wisdom that you've gotten from the deepest parts of you, your, 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 your heart itself, and you're going to carry that into your life. Because if you don't carry that into your life, then the parts of you that have been in the business of protecting you with trauma are going to notice that. And they're going to then reestablish or, or, or try to regrip your life right from 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 that perspective so it's this dance man Hmm. it's this dance of going back and forth between the trauma the pain the fear and fear (sighs) buddy fear is the one at least for me fear fear was is the is the one is the one it is the stickiest the most difficult uh, of all emotions that I've had to to come in contact with, although I will say this, man, um, when I told you I have stuff left to do, mm-hmm. I have not yet tapped into the, I believe, immense amount of pain that is the reason why that fear is what it is. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak mm-hmm. to a lot of stuff, but I'll say fear is sticky. And if you don't, and so if you process, if you, if you, if you do the courageous act, in a session which is a lot of times just like 
letting go of control and allow right. things right. to exist, then that that like I said, that itself is meaningful. But then you've got to you've got to work that into your life. You got to work that into your life. And if right. you do work that into your life, it's like level unlocked. You know, it's like then okay, next thing. But if you but if you don't, and you keep on returning to that that space. Hmm. you know mm-hmm. what you need to do man get the message and i know this is really hard and i'm not trying to like ca- cast cast judgment but I-, I think this is one of the reasons why people can be very cynical about these experiences when they when, mm. they, when they like notice oh you know so and so they went and they reported back this incredible experience and like dude they're the same they're the same person why is that it's mm. not because the experience is not real the experience is 100 real I believe it is because that is only part of the work. There is like, if, if, you know, I, I think if, if everything, if, if we were supposed to deal with everything in some kind of like mythic plane, and that's essentially where psychedelics, I believe, take you is like the, in a lot of ways, you have this mythic perspective of your life. Oh, I'm doing actually this. And this is the means this and all that stuff, right? If everything was meant to be take place in the mythic plane, man, that's where we'd be, but we're not. Most of the mm-hmm. time we're in the mundane mm-hmm. and it's actually, I think, essential, essential that it's in the mundane. And I think part of the reason why it's essential is because it's messy and confusing, right? Like courage requires, I think, a so, no small degree of faith. And so like you, you, you come into reality, you come into the mundane and you remember, oh, wait, I had these experiences and it's like, yeah, you did, but man, you know, they were in this kind of special, now I'm faced with these bills and now I'm faced with uh, this fear or whatever it may be, you know, okay, now you got to take the step, right? Because it's, it's, it, it gets a lot more blurry, a lot more fuzzy and a lot more boring when it's, you know, day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it, what, what I'm hearing is like, you really have to, once you have a discovery or a revelation, I'll call it a revelation, you need to act on that and, and actually do something with that information. You can't just, you can't, you, it can't be like a movie and then you just leave, right? You yep. have to bring that into the fold of your life. And that's a, that's a long process, continuous process, probably. It is, it is. And there's yeah. no, and, that, and one of the things about that, that I think is worth noting, I say once again, in, in my experience, right, is that psychedelics are, are not shortcuts. They can, yeah. they, you know, they're, they're only shortcuts in the sense that it can take less time. They're not shortcuts in the sense that you do less work, right? Uh-huh. It's kind of like, just like the difference between running a mile in 15 minutes and running a mile in six minutes, you know, they're mm-hmm. both a mile. Mm-hmm. One's, uh, one's just way more intense and you get over m- more quickly. Like it's pre- precisely what I feel like is going on with, with psychedelic experiences, like all the pain, all the fear, all the blah, 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 all that stuff. Right. Yeah. You still got to face it, man. Like you're not going to, I don't think you're going to leapfrog it. Maybe, maybe yeah, I could be wrong, but I don't think you're going to leapfrog it. Um, you're, you're just going to give yourself the opportunity to make that process go more quickly. And if that's something that you know, is attractive to you, then, you know, maybe, maybe it is for you. I'm not going to say if that's not attractive to you, you don't do it. The 
This concludes part one of my conversation with journalist Alex Detmering about his experiences with psychedelics and psychedelic therapies. Thank you to Alex for sharing his knowledge and experience with us on the Furious Curious podcast. If you'd like to follow his work, you can find him on LinkedIn for daily insights, articles, and publications, and on Instagram for his quotes, travel, and deep dives into various topics. We will provide the link in the show notes. Keep following us where you get your podcast for part two and three of our conversation coming up. You are listening to the Furious Curious Podcast, hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice, along with Chase Demerg, Chaz Cork, Nicole Lazar, Nate Betts, and Brian Vandeputty. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious and subscribe to the Furious Curious Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We welcome your comments, trollings, and of course, your feedback. And please take a moment to rate the show so more listeners can discover us. Until next time, stay curious. Out. Out.